Shalom. Thank you, worship team. Christmas. Ah, it's that most wonderful time of the year again, isn't it? You know, nothing in history remotely approaches the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the birth of Jesus. As really explained, according to the Christian church calendar, today is the first Sunday in Advent. What is Advent? The Advent season centers on the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. The Messiah's promised coming, do you know, was foretold 700 years before Christ's birth in the book of Isaiah. Specifically, Isaiah chapter 7, the passage that we just read for us. And many people have taken Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Many have taken this verse as the prophetic announcement of the virgin birth. And for generations, faithful Israelites earnestly anticipated their Messiah with great aspiration and expectation, echoing the prayer that he would ransom captive Israel. However, the hope of a promised Messiah was all but lost in times of extreme cruelty and destruction dealt to them by such enemies as the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Romans. But, as God is always true to his, and faithful to his promise, 700 years later, finally, the long-awaited heavenly announcement came to the gospel writer Luke, writing in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And in the fulfillment of this prophecy, one commentator said, and I quote, of measureless importance to the universe, to the world, to every individual of the human family is the prophecy to which we now come, the one that we are talking about this morning in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. On the fulfillment of this prophecy, all Christianity rests as the building 
on its foundation. End of quote. In fact, not only Gospel writer Luke, Gospel writer Matthew adds this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 to his Gospel. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 to verse 23, and this is what he says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. You see, the Jews had God with them. But it was only in types and in shadows. But never so as when what? As John says, the word was made flesh. When the word, Jesus himself, was made flesh. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Emmanuel has come. In the flesh. In the flesh. Born some 2,000 years ago. So Jesus is therefore not some abstract philosophical concept, but a real personal God. A personal God. He has come in the flesh. You know, as I meditate this Christmas season on the coming of Emmanuel, it speaks volumes to me about God's dynamic relationship to men. And so this morning, I want to use three prepositions in the English language, not Latin or something. <laughs> three simple prepositions in the English language to help us understand this dynamics of God's relationship to us by coming in the person of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The first preposition to describe God's dynamic relationship to us in the coming of Emmanuel is the preposition for. So firstly, God is for us. Okay, God is for us. Now the context of Isaiah chapter 7 is this. King Ahaz, king of Judah, was in great fear of invading armies. Israel to the north, in alliance with Syria, was about to invade Judah in the south. And because of his fears, he himself was now about to make a military alliance with the Assyrians. And that's where the prophet Isaiah came to him and says, Yes, hold on. Wait a minute. You need to trust in God rather than in military alliances. God is for you. Put your confident trust in Him. And to demonstrate to you that what I'm speaking to you now is true and to encourage Ahaz's faith, the Lord 
the Lord offer here in Isaiah chapter 7 a sign. Verse 10, Isaiah chapter 7, God sent us for a sign. But we read in verse 11 and verse 12, Ahaz feigned humility in refusing to ask a sign from the Lord. And since Ahaz refused to choose a sign, the Lord himself says, I will choose my own sign, whose implementation would occur far beyond Ahaz's lifetime. And that's where we have verse 14, where the Lord says, A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And this prophecy will reach forward to the virgin birth of the Messiah. See, Ahaz could ask for a sign, which will not only prove the faithfulness of God, but which will also validate the word of the prophet Isaiah. But Ahaz's response here was disappointing. Ahaz's response was disappointing. Rather than believing that God is for him, and that God could be trusted, to keep the nation of Israel secure in the face of enemy threat, he was now declaring himself committed to Assyria and not to God as his hope of deliverance. But, but remember, my brothers and sisters in Christ, God is always for his people. Can I hear an amen today? God is always for us. We had it better still in the New Testament. Turn with me to your Bible, please, to, to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we will be looking quite a, quite a few verses in this tremendous chapter in Romans chapter 8. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And this is what, God, uh, what Paul affirmed about God. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all this thing? Huh? After all is said and done, what is going to happen? Look at what 31 says. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us. God in his person, God in his providence, he is for us. And he promises us that he will make all things work for us. But sometimes we, like Jacob, we lament. Like Jacob in Genesis chapter 42, we mourn Everything is against me. When actually everything is working for us. The conclusion is obvious. If God be for us, who can be against us? I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. How powerful a message like this, a promise of God being for us, mean to you in your life on a daily basis. In order for the Christians, when you wake up each morning, 
when you wake up, not just breathing, but living because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you wake up with the consciousness that this is going to be a great day? Because God is for me. That therefore, there's no need to fear venturing into the day, no matter what the day may promise or may, may hold for us. Because we believe that we have a loving Heavenly Father who desires only the best for us as children. Yes, although throughout the day, there may be trials and testing that we may have to go through to receive His best for us. But God is for us. The prophet Jeremiah said, God writing through Jeremiah in the well-known verse, many of us have probably committed it to memory, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now suppose some great trials and difficulties comes our way during the day and we feel, then what? Then what? God is not for us. All is lost. Now back to Romans chapter 8. Now we go right back to the end of the chapter. As I've said, Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter. Okay? You look at how Paul concludes Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and verse 39. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation what, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? To be sure, God does not shelter us from all the difficulties and the challenges of life because we really need them for our own spiritual growth, for our maturity. In fact, earlier on, again in chapter 8, again, many of us probably have memorized that verse already, chapter 8, verse 28, God assures us that the difficulties of life are actually working for our own good and not against us. Although we don't feel that way, right, when we are in trials and temptations. Right? We think, why is everything against us? We mourn like Jacob. Forgetting that actually everything is working for us. Yes, believe it, <clears throat> except this morning to let God permits trials to come into our life so that we might work something out for our own good and for His glory. Okay? And so you listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This God is saying to us this Christmas in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Okay? And like what Pastor Jonathan likes to do, where you turn to the one next to you and says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, so, believe it. And rejoice in it. And let Satan do his worst. But he's chained. 
Satan is a conquered foe. Let the world do its worst. But Jesus has overcome the world. Remember, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. All the principalities and powers of this world, they are spoiled, they are disarmed, they are triumphed over in the love of God for us. Who then dared to be against us when God is for us? So, God is for us. And let me give you the wonderful, the ultimate proof of the statement that I'm making all along this morning, that God is for us. Again, going back to Romans chapter 8, I told you it's an important chapter that we'll be looking at this morning. Romans chapter 8, now looking at verse 32. He says, oh, how do I know God really loves me? God is for me. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is for us and he has already proved it by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. You observe here this verse, what God has done for us, on which our hopes are built. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. You know, when God was thinking of the salvation plan, you know, to, to undertake our, the plan of our salvation, you know what they got to? God was not, you know, unwilling. He says, oh, I have to sacrifice my son, you know. No, but God was willing to part even with his own son. In thinking of our salvation, God did not think Jesus too precious a gift to withhold in order to bestow salvation for you and for me. Based on Romans chapter 8, verse 32, you say, how do I know God? Paul says God demonstrated already. Now then we know that he loves us in that God did not withhold his one and only begotten son from us. Now, God is not only for us, though that is good. Let me move on now to a second preposition describing God's dynamic relationship with the coming of Emmanuel. And the second preposition is the preposition with. God is also with us. And that's maybe better. Okay? Now, I said earlier on already that the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, was for the authentication, for the confirmation of Isaiah's message from the Lord to King Ahaz, which was to no avail, of course. King Ahaz totally disregarded it. But interestingly, Matthew, writing in his Gospel in Matthew chapter 1, applies this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, to the birth of Jesus Christ. How interesting. How interesting. Why has Matthew done this? Well, it seems to me that only does this reinforce the fact that Mary herself was a virgin, which Matthew already said in writing his gospel in Matthew chapter 1. But Matthew also goes on to tell us what this name means, which Isaiah the prophet did not in his prophecy. The coming of Emmanuel, this virgin that shall conceive, his name Emmanuel means God with us. Think about it. 
Emmanuel described who God is. He is God. He is God with us. So he's not just one of the prophets, as some people claim. He's not just a great moral or religious teacher, as some people believe. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, why should this child be called Emmanuel? I just want to point out for us, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, in that passage, Matthew, the angel who appeared and gave this message, gave Emmanuel, who has come, another name. Jesus. Okay, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, we have two names, actually, in addition to Emmanuel, meaning God has, has come. Now, Matthew gave us another name for this one that was born, the Messiah who has come, is to be called Jesus. Two names. Now, in those days, both these names were very common. Okay, there are many Jewish boys who were named Emmanuel and Jesus. In fact, today in some, especially Latin countries, and in the Philippines, there are a lot of boys who are called Emmanuel and Jesus. Okay? Now, the Old Testament form of Jesus was the word Joshua, the name Joshua, the man that led the children of Israel into the land of promise. But the question is, I have to say, why these two names? So let's examine them together very briefly. First of all, according to Matthew, his name shall be called Jesus. Now, Jesus means Jehovah will help. Jesus means God saves. So as Tony in the prayer this morning already enlightened us, you know, how, how will God help? What kind of help are we talking about? The Jews in Jesus' day were under the Roman yoke. And all they could be thinking of was, come, yes, <laughs> Messiah, deliver us from our Roman yoke. Set us free from the Roman rule. That was what every Jew wanted in that day and what they were praying for. Or how else will God help? Maybe they want God to make the nation of Israel great once again, as in the days of King David and King Solomon. Will God now come, the Messiah, come and move us from obscurity to greatness again? And that's what every Israelite in those days would want thing. But if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, very carefully, the angel tells us specific specifically what help this, this, this Messiah who has come I will bring. And Matthew is very clear. Okay, writing Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Matthew says this child will what? Save his people from their sin. Save his people from their sin. That is the help that Jehovah is going to come. Jesus coming to take away the sin that is inside me, that I cannot deal with, that cannot save me. Now, why is this necessary? It is so vitally necessary because my sins have to be taken away before God. Yes, Emmanuel has come. To, but my sins have to be taken away by Jesus before God can live 
inside me, within me. God cannot live within us until unless He first of all takes away our sins. So you see, it's so interesting. That's why we have these two names here, Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus, God will help. God saves. Saves what? God will take away our sin, will save us from our sin. And then God will live with us. God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus saving us from our sin, which we cannot handle, but he could because he's a sinless one. And then Emmanuel coming to us to be with us. But that's not all there is to the coming of Emmanuel. Sure, God is for us. That's good, as I've said. Sure, God is with us, and that probably is better. But God is also in us. And I submit to you that probably is the best of all regarding God's dynamic relationship with us with the coming of Emmanuel. So the third proposition I discovered in God's dynamic relationship to us because of the coming of Emmanuel is God in us. God in us speaks volumes about God's dynamic relationship and involvement with our lives. We didn't think Old Little Town of Bethlehem this morning, another of my favorite Christmas carols. And so let me take time to point out for us, especially in verse 3 and verse 4, it's a four-stanza carol. Uh, in this carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, no other carol captures this idea better that God is in us. O Little Town of Bethlehem was written by 19th century American preacher and hymn writer Philip Brooks. In stanza 3, this is how it, says, it goes. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And stands for says, O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in us. And enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels that great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. You hear that? Verse 3, where make so souls shall receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Verse 4, cast out our sins and enter in, being born in us today. That's why we talk about we are born again. Because God comes and lives in us. You see, the coming of Emmanuel signals God's intent not merely to be a friend to us, signals not only to cleanse us from our sins, but more importantly, signals his desire to come and live in us to indwell us, and to empower us. So even though this event took place some 2,000 years ago, whenever an individual first comes into a personal contact with the Christ of Christmas, 
with Jesus, with Emmanuel. It seems as though he's the recipient for the first time of this wonderful gift. That's why when somebody becomes a Christian, we say, I found the Lord. I found Jesus. You remember years ago, some of you are just too, not born yet, in the 70s, I found him campaign, right? Yeah, I found him. It was such an exhilaration, sort of joy. I found Jesus. In fact, so such a joyful experience. I said, Jesus talked about how then it's so precious that, you know, whether it's the precious that you have, you will just discard them because you have found, found Jesus, the treasure, the greatest treasure of all. It's, it's just that precious because why? It is so real in our own personal experience. It is so personal. The Bible, the Bible teaches that there's a personal God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit and that we are the temple of God. It is to us that He came. It is to us that He was born. It is to us that we must believe. And it is to us that we must receive Him into our lives. He is God in us to strengthen us, to empower us, to guide us, to meet our needs, to solve our problem. Or as the gospel writer says, He walks with me and He talks with me. I mentioned this many times before already. No other adherents of any other religion have ever said, I talk to God. I just talk to God. Because we have a God who lives in us. Because of who Emmanuel is, he has come for us, has come to be with us, has come to be in us. I was looking for an opportunity to make this correction. I'm compelled to say this this morning, and I think it's in the context of what I'm talking about this morning. Something that is troubling me in this church, and not just in this church, but every church that I go to, when I hear pastors, ministry leaders, worship leaders, up here in the pulpit, and in prayer, and says, Lord, I invite you. Now, there are two things very seriously wrong when we come into the presence of the Lord, and we says, Lord, we invite you. We invite you to come into our midst. First of all, theologically, it is wrong. The very fact that you can come into God's presence with it is at whose invitation? You invite God into your life. <laughs> come, Lord. Or is it God who is here and says, Come, I am here. You know, the omnipresence of God, who He is. That's why I say theologically it is strong. What I said, I'm oftentimes I'm guilty of it myself, right? We hear some. We all know preacher Lawrence Kong said this way, that way, and so we all mimic, you know, and it's become a fact. And so in our prayer, we say, Lord, we invite you to come. Who is the host? Who is the boss? If I invite you to my house, <laughs> no matter what I can say for you, <laughs> make yourself at home, you, you can't still, it's not your home, right? <laughs> 
Let's get this straight. Jesus is Lord. If he doesn't invite us to come into his holy presence, we can never, ever come before him. We will perish. Each time we come into his holy presence, we humbly submit to his lordship and realize his presence and experience it to his fullest. We do not have the audacity to say, we invite you to come. So theologically, it is wrong. Who is the boss of your life? Who is the boss of this church? Secondly, it is very paganistic. It's the Chinese, other people who invite their gods. Chia Xin, you know? Right? We, they invite God into their home, invite God to enter the usher with possession, whatever. It's the pagans who have to invite their God because they don't have an omnipresent God with them all the time. They invite God into their presence. So I hope here in Gelang EFC, it's a business of we having the audacity to invite God. I will have to stop here. Okay, theologically it is wrong. Secondly, there are more I could say, but these are the most important two. Secondly, it is very paganistic. It's a very pagan idea to invite God into your presence, to come into your presence. Why well, I better close? <laughs> I know it's a Christmas season. It's a joyful time of the year, but I'm very mindful that sometimes the most joyful of occasions can be very troublesome for, or problematic for some of us, okay? It's a busy time, a lot of joy, you know, making, going on, partying, and that's all, you know, but right now in your lives, maybe you don't feel that joyful, all right, and celebrating. You know, maybe you feel abandoned. You know, that this time where everybody is so busy and traveling, you felt that you're left without guidance, and you need God's presence in your life. If you are feeling that way this morning, I just want to remind you what I've been saying all morning about God. About this Emmanuel in Jesus who has come. That he's for us, he's with us, and he lives inside of us. So God has come to us to be our Emmanuel. God with us but even a more personal way to be God in us. So three simple prepositions for, with, and in, and by believe that speak powerfully about who our God is and his own personal relationship with each one of us. Powerful, powerful truth in terms of God's relationship to us. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I conclude this morning, I just want to urge you to celebrate this truth throughout this Christmas, but better yet, find opportunities to share this glorious message with someone who needs Jesus in his or her life. One final question before I go. Is God in you this morning? He has already done all that he can in sending Jesus to die for your sin. The last thing you want to happen this morning is to leave this place, having come to worship, and not have that. I found Jesus and invited him into my life.
and they can go leave this place with that blessed assurance. You know that God, the Almighty God, lives in us. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the coming of Jesus, in the coming of the Emmanuel, you have more than met us at the point of our deepest needs and longings. In Jesus' humbling incarnation, you have come to be with us, to be our friends, to walk with us, and to talk with us. In Jesus' crucifixion, he has come for us, crushing our greatest enemy, Satan, and sin, and his power, and his curse on our lives. And in Jesus' triumphant resurrection from the dead and his resultant ascension into heaven, he has come in us, living in our very hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing forth to us at Christmas time an abundant blessings of hope, peace, joy, and love. God's wonderful gifts to us at Christmas. And so our Heavenly Father, being so richly blessed by you, may we make full use of this Advent season to share the good news that Jesus has come. And let the people of God say, Amen. Amen.